Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is to see everyone attend church and hear from God daily through His Word. The Bible reveals God's responses to various situations, and through daily devotions, we can reshape our thought patterns, transform our minds, and become more Christ-like. Join us here every Monday through Friday as different pastors and leaders from Fusion Church provide insightful devotions and teachings based on the day's scripture. For the current SOAP reading plan, visit fusionchurch.cc soap and join us as we deepen our understanding and relationship with God. Good morning, good morning, Fusion Church, 6 a.m. SOAP, how you guys feeling? How you guys doing on the Daniel fast? Today is what, day 17? Day 17? Come on. How are you guys feeling? Um, I'm so excited because um, we're, we're hearing so many testimonies of people finding breakthrough and just receiving new words from the Lord and more clarity on what God is trying to, to speak to them. Um, so come on. Let's press in just a few more days. Um, I ain't going to lie. Listen. We we family, right? We we can be real. So so uh we have a neighbor and Sandra, um, neighbor who's going through some stuff. And so Sandra was making them a meal um uh for last night and she was making them a, a lasagna. And don't you know, walking into this house after work, I'm already hungry and I'm smelling lasagna, right? And we were both like but this ain't for us. <laughs> this ain't for us, you know? And so, but we, but we, we truly believe that it's in these last couple days of the fast when it's so easy to say, we're just going to cut it short. Hey, we, we've fasted long enough. We prayed long enough. You know, let's just jump back into it. I believe this is the time when there's going to be even more breakthrough. There's going to be even more, um, um, things that God wants to reveal to us. Um, so come on, guys, let's press in. Let's just keep going. I'm telling you, every single year we do this corporate Daniel fast. Um, it's just amazing what God does. Amen. So listen, Daniel, uh, Matthew 5, excuse me. I'm going to pray and we're going to jump right into it. Father, we love you. We thank you. Thank you for your word, Lord God. Thank you for this, this teaching we're going to get from Matthew 5 this sermon from Jesus, Lord God, and, and thank you for the truth so we can glean from it, Father. Lord, I praise you for this time, Lord. I pray that uh, it would be your words heard, that, and but not my Lord God, that you be speaking to your children, Lord, speaking to my brothers and sisters during this time. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. <clears throat> All right, Matthew 5, it's a long chapter, um, so let's get into it. <clears throat> and seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when you revile and when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecute the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, <clears throat> how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, 
but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Verse 17, do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till it is all fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of these of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. We have heard that it was said to those bold, old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is hungry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you're on the way to with him, lest your adversary deliver you to be judge and judge the judge hand you over to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said to, to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Verse 31, therefore it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her, give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is, it is his footstool nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes and your no be no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Verse 43, you have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors, tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Amen. Amen. All right. So, there is no way I'll be able to get through all 48 verses in the next 24 minutes. So, I'm really going to focus on the first handful of verses, the Beatitudes. 
right? What are the Beatitudes? The Beatitudes, um, the word Beatitude comes from the Latin word um, Beatitudo, which is the state of, of being blessed by God. Um, and so uh, it's a really well-known portion of, of this sermon um, that Jesus just preached. Verse 1 begins with, and seeing the multitudes. Now, if, if we had gone back to chapter 4, it mentioned that great multitudes were following him, and, um, and they were coming from different regions. And so in response to this, Jesus went up into the mountains. And he didn't go up into the mountains to remove himself from the multitudes. Um, um, and even, But it is true that Jesus gave his teaching to his disciples. Um, Luke, when he's talking about the same the same um, in, uh, time says that um, uh, that this, this is the some of the same basic material that Jesus probably preached on different occasions. Okay, so it wasn't just like one time he pre he necessarily preached this message. Um, in um, uh, in Luke six seventeen, he says to a crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all of Judea and Jerusalem, and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and be healed of their diseases. Yeah, in the beginning of this teaching, Luke writes um, that he lifted up his eyes towards his, his disciples. Um, the sense is, is the same as, as in Matthew, that this sermon was spoken to the disciples of Jesus, but the disciples in a broad sense, not just disciples, just the, the 12, um, his core group. Um, so pretty much everyone who followed him is considered a disciple. Um, and so that's who he was speaking to. It says that when he was seated, this was a common posture for for teachers during this time. The teacher would would sit, and the listeners, the disciples, the students, um, they would be uh, standing around him. And it says, then he opened his mouth. In verse two, this means that Jesus um, used a very strong voice to teach the crowd. He spoke with with energy, and he projected his thoughts um, with earnestness. Um, it, it's not redundant to say that he opened his mouth and taught them um, because Jesus had been teaching them even when he never opened his mouth. He taught them even with his example, with the way he led his life. And that's a, that's a word for some of us, that people are always watching us. They're watching how we act. We're act they're watching what we do, what we say, how we interact with people. Um, so it's not just, you know, witnessing the people, and talking about Jesus Christ is more than just the words we cut that, that come out of our out of our mouth, right? It's by our actions. It's by how we carry ourselves. Okay, because how can we profess to be followers of Christ if we're always walking around with our shoulders slumped and we're looking depressed? Or we're always upset. We're always ticked off, you know. But I love Jesus. Do you? Do you really? You know, what kind of example are you setting? How many people have been turned away because of the, of the demeanor that we've put forth? And so what these people heard was a message that um, ha had long been um, recognized, had been long recognized as the sum of Jesus' Jesus' entire ethical teaching. And in the Sermon on the Mount, which is what we're reading about right here, he, Jesus is telling us how to live. It's been said that if you took all the good advice for how to live um, ever uttered by any philosopher or a psychiatrist or a doctor or anybody, a counselor, if you took out all the foolishness, all the nonsense, all the all the, the, the garbage, and you got real down to the essentials, you would still be left with a poor imitation 
of this great message of Jesus, right? This is the greatest sermon ever preached in the history of sermons, period. It presents a, a radically different agenda than, than what the nation of Israel expected from their Messiah. And uh, it does not um, present the political or the, the material blessings of the Messiah's reign, that, 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 that what the children of Israel expected, right? Instead, it expresses uh, the spiritual implications of the rule of Jesus in our lives. The great message tells us how we will live when Jesus is our Lord. It's important to understand that the Sermon on the Mount does not deal with salvation at all, but it does lay out for the disciple and, and, and for the potential disciple of Jesus, how acknowledging him as king translates into ethics and it translates into our daily lives. Verse three begins with blessed, that Jesus promised blessing to his disciples, promising that the poor in spirit are blessed. The idea behind the, the ancient Greek word um, for blessed is happy, but in the truest and the godly sense of the word, not in our modern sense of merely being comfortable um, in the moment. The very last word, the very last word of the Old Testament is the word curse. Very last word. So it's significant that the opening of Jesus's ministry begins with the word blessed. So blessed are the poor in spirit. This is not someone's confession that they are insignificant or if they were without value. Um, but instead, it's a, it's a confession that he is sinful and rebellious and utterly without moral virtues adequate to, enough to approach God. This beatitude is first because this is where we start with God. It says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For those who are poor in spirit, so poor that they must um, beg, they are rewarded. They receive the kingdom of heaven because poverty of spirit is an absolute prerequisite for receiving the kingdom of heaven. And as long as we we harbor illusions that it's our own spiritual resources, we will never receive from God what He absolute what we absolutely need to be saved. The call to be poor in spirit is placed first for a reason because it puts the following commands into perspective. They cannot be we can they cannot be fulfilled by one's own strength, but only by the beggar's reliance on God's power. No one mourns on, until they're a poor in spirit. No one is meek um, towards others until he has a humble view of himself. If you don't sense your own need and your own poverty, you will never hunger and thirst for righteousness. And if you have to, too high a view of yourself, you will find it difficult to be merciful to others. Verse 4 says, <clears throat> blessed are those who mourn. The ancient Greek grammar indicates an, an intense um, degree of mourning. Jesus doesn't, does not speak of casual sorrow for the consequence of sin, but a, a deep grief before God over their fallen state. The Greek word for, for to mourn used here is the strongest word for, the, for, for mourning in the Greek language. It is, word, it is the word that is, is used for, for mourning the dead, 
for for the passionate lament um, for one who who has been loved. This morning is the is the godly sorrow that produces repentance to salvation that Paul described in 2 Corinthians 7.10 when he wrote, for godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Those who mourn over their sin and their, their, their sinful condition are promised comfort. God, listen, God allows grief in our lives as a path, not as a destination. God allows grief in our in our lives as a path, not a destination. But how many of us who are in grief and we get stuck in that grief? We get stuck and we do not move on. And that does not say, listen, that does not mean that you cannot be sad. You cannot have your bad days. We've all lost people in our lives, right? And there are days when, you know, um, people who I've lost in my life that, you know, I, I, I do spend the day like thinking about them and I'm sad, you know, but I'm no longer grieved, you know, I'm no longer in mourning, you know, and I think for a lot of us, we think that if we're, if we leave that state of grief and mourning, that we're somehow disparaging that person, we're somehow forgetting what they meant to us. And that is a lie, Right. Because if we hold on to that, we will never be comforted. Those who mourn can only know something special of God, and that's the fellowship of his suffering. Jesus is known as the, as the man of, of sorrows, and so being having fellowship in his suffering, it brings us a closeness to this man of sorrows who was so acquainted with grief. Blessed are the meek, verse 5. <clears throat> meek isn't really um, the right word to use here. Meek is, is the closest to the ancient Greek word prawns, and it has the idea of a proper balance between anger and indifference, um, of a, a powerful uh, personality that's uh, properly controlled, that has humility. If that makes if, if if I'm getting if you guys understand what I'm saying, um, in the vocabulary of the ancient Greek language, the meek person was not a passive or an easily pushed around person. The main idea um, of this is strength under control. So you can remove meek briefly and say, "Blessed are those who have strength under control." To be meek means to show willingness to submit and and work under proper authority. It also shows a willingness to, to disregard one's own rights and privileges. It, it, it is, it's one thing for, for me to admit my own spiritual bankruptcy, but what if someone else does it for me? Do I act meekly? If someone brings it to my attention that I'm, I'm messing up somewhere, how do I respond? The blessed one is meek. They are meek before God and that they submit to his will and they conform to his word. And they are meek before men in that they are strong, yet also humble, gentle, patient, long-suffering. For they shall inherit the earth. We can only be meek and willing to control our desire for our rights and privileges because we are confident that God watches over us. That he will protect our cause. 
The promise that they shall inherit to earth proves that God will not allow his meek ones to end up on the short end of the deal. Verse 6 says, blessed are those who, who hunger. This describes um, a profound hunger that cannot be satiated. This is a longing that endures and is never um, completely satisfied on this side of eternity. We see Christians hungering for a lot of things, right? Christians hungering for power, for authority, for success, for platform, to be in the public eye. We have Christians who, you know, they want to be the, late, the, the latest and greatest podcast star, and they wanted to be the, the, the biggest worship leader, the best pastor, right? And they're doing everything on, under their own power to, to do this. They, um, But how many of these same people are hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Hungering and thirsting for righteousness. It's good to remember that Jesus said this in a day and to a culture that really knew what it was like to be hungry and to be thirsty. See, us in the in the Western world, we're 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 so often we're so distant from the basic needs of hunger and thirsting that we find it you know difficult to to um hunger and thirst after righteousness. But those who, who do hunger and thirst for righteousness, it says that they shall be filled. Jesus promised to fill the hungry, to fill with them as with, with as much as they could eat. And this is a strange feeling that both satisfies us and keeps us hungering for more. Listen, when you're in relationship with Jesus Christ, and he's in your life and he is in control and the Holy Spirit is, is, is running through us. And, you know, it's like we can never get enough. We can, we always want more, more of you, Lord. I want more of you. Right. And he, he satiates us. He fills us. He meets our needs, but we still want more of him. We want more of him, not of what he brings us. Not of what he does for us, not of the blessings, but of him, him and what he does. We're never satisfied. And that's how we should be with the Lord at all times. Never satisfied with where we're at. Always trying to get closer. Never satisfied with where we're at, but want a better understanding. Never satisfied with where we're at, but we want God to be so more and more and more real in our lives. That's what this means. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Matthew 6, 33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. We don't need to be going after the things. We need to be going after him. And I promise you, the word promises, promises us that, that, that we will be filled and he will fill us to capacity. And we still want more. And that's a good place to be. Brothers and sisters, that is a good place to be. Verse 7 says, blessed are the merciful. So when, when this, this when this beatitude addresses those who show mercy, um, it speaks to those who have already received mercy. It is, it is mercy to be emptied of your pride and brought to poverty of spirit. It's mercy to be brought to mourning over your spiritual condition. It's mercy to receive the grace of of, of meekness and to become gentle. It's a mercy to be made hungry and thirsty 
after righteousness. Therefore, this one, this is one who is expected to show mercy is the one who has already received it. If you want mercy from others, if you want mercy especially from God, then you should take care to be merciful to others. Some people wonder why God showed such remarkable mercy to King David, especially in the terrible way in which, in which he sinned. And what all he did with Bathsheba and murder and all this stuff. And one reason God gave him such mercy was because David notably was merciful to King Saul. And on several occasions was kind to a very unworthy Saul. So in David, the merciful obtained mercy. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart. Pure of heart is the idea of of straightness, of honesty, of clarity. Um, and there can be two ideas connected with this. One is of, of an inner moral purity as opposed to the image of purity. Um, the other is of simple individual heart, those who are utterly sincere and not divided in their devotion and commitment to God. The pure of heart, it says, they shall see God. And this, the pure of heart, receive the most, most wonderful reward. They will be, they will enjoy greater intimacy with God than they could have ever imagined. The polluting sins of covetousness, of oppression, of lust, of deception have a definite um blinding effect on a person. And the one who is pure of heart is free from these pollutions. Ultimately, this Intimate relationship with God must become our greatest motivation for purity, greater than a fear of getting caught or a, a fear of consequences. Blessed are the peacemakers. This does not um, describe those who live in peace, but those who actually bring about peace, overcoming evil with good. One way that we accomplish this is through spreading of the gospel. Because God has entrusted us with the ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. In evangelism, we make peace between man and the God who they have, they have rejected. In evangelism, we make peace between man and the God who they have rejected. When we spread the gospel, when we're when we're showing who Jesus Christ is, we are trying to make peace between man and the God who they have continually rejected. That is what evangelism is. That is what we're called to do in spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. For they shall be called sons of God. The reward of the peacemakers is that they are they are recognized as true children of God. They share his passion for peace and reconciliation. The breaking down of walls between people. They want to bring people together. This peacemaker is blessed by God, though they may be, you know, treated wrongly by by man. He is blessed by God. He is blessed to be among um, the children of God, adapted into His family, surrounded by brothers and sisters throughout all the ages. Blessed are those who are persecuted. These. <clears throat> blessed ones are, are persecuted for Jesus' sake, not for their, their, their own reasonings. Peter recognized that the suffering might come to some Christians for, for reasons other than their faithfulness to Jesus. 
according to 1 Peter 4, 15 through 16. And this is not what Jesus, Jesus is talking about here. The character traits described in, in, in the Beatitudes are not valued by our modern culture. We don't recognize or, or give rewards for um, the, the, the most pure in heart. We don't give rewards or trophies for the most poor in spirit. Though our culture doesn't think much of these character traits, they describe the character of those of us who are citizens of God's kingdom. In God's kingdom, these are all the perfect traits to have. Blessed are you, verse 11, when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Jesus now adds insults and malice um, spoken to us into the, 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 the sphere of, of persecution, right? It's not just being physically beaten or hurt. It's even just people talking bad about you. We cannot limit our idea of persecution to only physical um, opposition or, or, or to tor torture. In Matthew 5.10, they are persecuted for righteousness' sake. In 5.11, they are persecuted for the sake of Jesus. This shows that Jesus expected that their righteous lives would be lived after his people and in honor to him. It did not take long for, for the words of Jesus to ring true to his followers. Early Christians were were were, um, were were enemies of the government. You know, the enemies. You know, they say all kinds of evil against them. Christians were accused of all kinds of crazy things. They were accused of cannibalism because there was a, a, a gross uh, misrepresentation of the practice of the Lord's Supper. And Jesus said, "This is my body." So people said, "Oh, they're they're eating people." So they were they were persecuted for it. Immorality because of of the love feasts and the and the private meetings that the Christians would have. Um, they were accused of of um, <clears throat> of being fanatics because they believed Jesus would, would return and bring an apocalyptic end to to history. They were accused of splitting families because when 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 a husband or wife or a parent became a Christian, this would often change and, and sometimes bring division within the family. They were, they were accused of treason because they would not honor Roman gods. They would not worship the Roman gods. They would not participate in worshiping of the emperor. Christians were persecuted. You can look in all the history books and read about what happened to the Christians. Verse 12, as we begin to close, says, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Literally, we could translate the phrase to say that the persecuted should leap for joy. Why? Because I'm going to tell you right now, if I'm being beaten, I'm being, you know, smacked around, I'm being tortured, the last thought in my head is probably, I'm going to leap for joy. I'm going to be dancing. But why? Because the persecuted will have a great reward in heaven. And because the persecuted are in good company, because the prophets before them, the saints before them, were also persecuted. And there are examples throughout history um, of men who did, in fact, rejoice when they were persecuted. There's one story of a man who was who was at the, who was being about to be burned at the stake, and he was leaping for joy, and he hugged hugged the stake as he was being burned, you know, like it was his friend, because he knew. Where he was going to end up. Another leapt and danced as he was walked 
to his execution. And when he when he was asked how he was, he said, well, God be praised, never better, for I am almost home. I am at my father's house. How, how amazing is that to know and have full confidence of where you're going? And you're excited. You're excited. Um, not necessarily that you're happy you're going to be killed, but you're excited about what the end result's going to be, that you're going to be in the presence of the Father. See, the world persecutes these good people because the values and character expressed in the Beatitudes are so opposite to the world's thinking. They, it doesn't make sense to them. And what happens to things that don't make sense? You shun it. You get rid of it, right? I got to get out of my face and I'm going to kill and silence it because these true morals, right, they bring conviction. These morals are shining a light on our own lives of the things we're not doing, the things that we're messing up in, right? Our own sins. Our persecution may not be much compared to others, but if no one ever speaks evil of you, then are the beatitude traits really in your life? Are you really exemplifying the beatitude traits? If no one says anything bad about you, I would argue you're not. You're not. Because as children of God, we should not expect, uh, just expect a happy, you know, everything is perfect life. We're going to go through some stuff. We're going to go through some trials and tribulations. We're going to go through some hardships. We're going to lose people, right? We're going to go bankrupt, get our money back. People's going to, we're going to get sickness. We're going to be healed. There's, there's so many things we're going to go through. But if we have these traits in our lives, we, we have these traits of being poor in spirit, of mourning, of, of being meek, of being um, <clears throat> merciful. These are traits of Jesus. And we should always strive, always strive to be more and more like him. More and more like him. And our Lord was beaten. He was bruised. His body was split, right? And yet, he did it with a glad heart because he knew that he was making a way for us to be with him in eternity. So who are we to expect that we would that we would never be persecuted? Who are we to think, have the audacity, the unmitigated gall to think that we're never going to go through something? It's just it's just wrong. So my brothers and sisters, as you go about your day, your week, your month, think about these traits. Jesus is telling us, you know, we're blessed if we have this. We're blessed if this. We're blessed. We're blessed, right? And we're not going to be perfect, but we should strive to be as much like him as possible. We're in this Daniel fast, and it's coming to an end here in a few days, right? And the ultimate purpose is to get closer to God, to hear his voice more, to have a closer, deeper, more intimate relationship with Jesus. And as we get closer to him, these traits that he's describing become more and more attainable. Because, surprise, surprise, we are not going to get here without him. We will never be like this without him. Because the Pharisees tried. They tried to be live their holy, perfect lives, and they were very fallible. 
we can see the history of the church. And I'm not going to get into details because I might offend some people. But we can see the history of the church, of people high up in the church, walking around with their piousness and acting holy and morally superior. But were they pure of heart? Did they show mercy? Were they meek? Were they poor in spirit? I would argue not. So my brothers and sisters, as we are going through this fast and we're spending time in prayer, don't forget about the prayer. Don't get so hung up on the on what you can and cannot eat, right? Because then we become legalistic and this becomes a chore. And this becomes a, a have to, not a get to thing that we're doing, right? So yes, fast, but pray. Don't forget about the prayer. And as we're doing this, as we close out Daniel Fast 2024 Fusion Church, Seek the Lord and see how you can close, get closer to him and, and ask him, what is it you have for me? Lord, what is that calling you have on my life? What is that ministry I need to start? Lord, help me get closer to you and be more like Matthew 5. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord. Thank you for, for your word, Lord. Thank you for this, the, the, the example that you set for us, Father. And Lord, you don't expect us to do it alone. And oftentimes we try to do it by ourselves. And we beat our heads up against the wall constantly because we're not getting there. But Lord, we just need to turn to you. Lord, and you promised you would be there. And you would take us. Because this is something that we will never be We'll never be there until we're in glory with you. But Father, you promised that you will help get us there. So thank you for your word. I pray for my brothers and sisters who are on this call, who are on the podcast later on, Lord, that, that you would just reveal those areas in their life that they need some work on. Reveal those areas that, that you want to get into, Lord. And I pray, Father, that they would be open to receiving your miraculous work in their lives. Father, we praise you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. All right, brothers and sisters, love y'all. Don't forget, this is a big weekend coming up at Fusion Church. It's our Miracles in Motion Vision Sunday. So uh, we're going to have all the treats, all the goodies. Uh, Pastor Brennan has been talking about a sugar coma after, at, the, at the end of service on Sunday. So come on, um, get ready, invite your friends, invite those people who have not come to church, those people that you know, when you look around on Sunday, you're like, man, I ain't seen such and such. Give them a call, text them. I'm telling you, some, listen to Pastor Jason, some people will return because they receive a text, a personal text. Because they can receive a text from 94,000 from the church all day, every day. And it's like, mm, I don't care, right? That's cool, whatever. But if Mary texts them or Nicole or Frank or Thomas or Barb texts them, it's like, oh man, someone's thinking about me and they're going to show up. So send those texts, give those phone calls, right? Invite, invite, invite. You're going to be blown away about what has happened in our church what's happening right now and where we're going. It's going to, it's mind blowing. Something that only God can do. Amen. All right. I'm done. Love y'all. See you next week. God bless.